What's going on guys, it's your man with the plan, Samuel Plan, coming back at you once again with another brand new installment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Thanks for tuning in guys, if you missed last week's episode you can still go catch that on demand, the way to do it is very simple, head over to Spreaker, head over to lordsofpain.net and you can catch my last episode of SCID on demand, you can also do it through your usual podcast provider as well. Please also make sure you check out all the other great shows here on Lords of Pain Radio. We have stuff coming to you each and every single day of the week, covering everything from New Japan Pro Wrestling, Ring of Honor, TNA, Indie Circuits, British Wrestling, you name it, we've got coverage for it. So do make sure you check out all the wonderful shows. You can do so by subscribing. Don't subscribe to Lords of Pain Radio, but do subscribe to each of our shows by their individual name, and that way you can make sure you don't miss a second of the great coverage we've got for you here on Lords of Pain Radio. It is another week in my ongoing project for Sports Entertainment is Dead Year 2. If, of course, you're unfamiliar with it, and this is the first time you're tuning in, I take a guest host every single week and we explore a match chosen quite at random historically either by myself or said guest to explore the themes, the creative merits, the character, the narrative, its historical importance, anything that we think is worth commenting on. It's all inspired by my book 101 WW Matches to See Before You Die which you can still go ahead and buy on Amazon anywhere in the world. And, of course, it's also the inspiration behind my second incoming book, which will be a direct sequel to 101, but will be focused specifically on the new generation era. Both of these books explore many of the benefits that come with watching your professional wrestling as performance art rather than as sports entertainment, which, as the title of my show implies, is, in my belief, dead. That's what these match explorations aim to do as well. And this week, we have another... Joining me once again this week is uh, a long-term LOP, a famous name to anyone who's visited the site any time in probably the last 10 years, quite honestly. He's been on the show before, of course. Uh, it is Chad the Doc Matthews. Uh, welcome back, Doc. Thank you for having me back. I am excited to be here and to talk about this match. Excellent stuff. We're, we're now, for, for those of you uh, who uh, listened last week, uh, I had Sir Sam with me and we talked about the Shield Triple Threat from Battleground 2016, as you know, which is a match that a lot of people had hoped would have been a WrestleMania main event instead. And we sort of uh, chatted a little bit about that, skirted around it a little bit. But I thought what might be fun, especially with Doc, who of course has authored not one but two books about the uh, so-called WrestleMania era and who is himself a a very well-documented fan of WrestleMania as a franchise, I thought it might be fun to sit down and talk about, over the next two weeks, a couple of matches that uh, arguably should have been, certainly could have been, WrestleMania main events, uh, but for whatever reason haven't been, and one of them at least hasn't been yet. Uh, And we're going to start this week with a match that I know we're both big fans of. It certainly appeared in my book, 101 WWE matches to see before you die. And it's Kurt Angle defending the World Heavyweight Championship against The Undertaker at No Way Out 2006. And I want to kick off straight away. I'll be, you know, full disclosure, it's one of my all-time favorite matches. I've never sat and done a top 10, but I imagine this would sit in it if I did. Uh, And to say that uh, anyone who follows me on social media will know quite well by now, my, my headspace is one now where I've pretty much checked out of, of at least contemporary wrestling. Sitting and rewatching this, it still had all the same appeal to me now 
than it did then. It feels quite old school in a lot of ways. And I wanted to, to kick off by asking if you found a, a similar thing, if you've had a chance to revisit it for the show and what your reaction was, if you have, Doc. I certainly, I certainly did. And I certainly feel the same way. There is a, a, a bit of a, I think old school is actually the perfect way to put it. It's got that tone to it, doesn't it? It's just so different than what we see today. I mean, there's a lot of content, but the content is not as in your face mm. as what we see a lot of today. It's more nuanced. So mm. the content that shapes 30 minutes of action is not the kind of content that you would see fill 30 similar minutes of action in 2019. And I found that quite refreshing. I think you're basically talking about you know, and part of that, I guess, comes from you're talking about two of the best to have ever done it oh, in, in Angle and Taker. So a fascinating watch, definitely old school vibes throughout. And um, it made me really miss Pete Kurt Angle. It made me wish we had had longer than 2006 to, per, to appreciate him in WWE. And I think that if he'd stuck around, we would have seen a, perhaps him, him put together a legacy if he'd been around, say, for the rest of the time that he spent over in TNA or Impact Wrestling, then uh, the, I think the the body of work he could have put together would have been just put potentially untouchable historically. I'd be inclined to agree. I think Wrestling Machine Kurt Angle is is probably my favorite uh, iteration of his various characters over the years because it had such an unbridled intensity to it, and. One of the let's sort of dive right into the meat of the issue, which is this idea of it of it, you know, as a as a sort of WrestleMania main event that didn't happen at WrestleMania. Obviously, it's only one month out from WrestleMania 22, which would go on to have Kurt Angle, Ray, and Randy Orton in a pretty decent triple threat match, to be fair. Um, but what I love and what I wrote about in my book regarding this match is that it seems to. Uh, embody that very specific kind of professional wrestling that WWE banked on for so many years and I think it was either in the book, it was certainly in the original column I wrote many years ago about this match um, that the phrase Wrestlemania seems to fit it perfectly because it, it has both the 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 sort of sporting foundation of professional wrestling in the form of, you know, the legitimacy that Kurt Angle brings to the ring and his amateur accomplishments and what he could do quite, quite obviously between the ropes, even at this point in his career, uh, arguably better than at any other point in his career at this point in his career. Uh, and on the other hand, you know, so you have a character that's very much rooted in, rea in the reality of professional wrestling. And on the other hand, you have the fantasy of it, the high fantasy of it, that the craziness, the unique, uh, for want of a better word, corniness that comes with particularly WWE style of professional wrestling in The Undertaker pitted against each other in a match, we use the term old school I think that's that's a prevalent point to make as well because it's a match that feels like it's a hark back to uh, the, the, the peak of WWE style of professional wrestling as well. In so many ways, it, it feels like the perfect embodiment of a WWE match. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that you mentioned in your book about it that always resonated with me, because I wrote about it in mine as well, was the idea that this was the, the greatest WrestleMania match that never took place at WrestleMania. You know, right. yeah. it, it just had that, that dynamic to it. I'm, I'm sure you'll get to that that later but that that part always really resonated with me because it had all the makings of it um, it had all the makings of a wrestlemania main event it had 
the style of wrestling that you would see in a WrestleMania main event, the type of length of match that often only happened in a WrestleMania main event at that point. It had two iconic figures standing toe-to-toe for uh, really the first time on pay-per-view one-on-one when both were who they were historically. I mean, and as much as – one of the things I found about it, for, and I wanted to get your, your opinion on it, is yeah. as much as this is old school to us – it's, this was, at the time, very new school for The Undertaker. Mm. I mean, the style that we came to know during what I've often always referred to as the streak within the streak, the, the matches of the, the match of the year candidates that he put together in seven consecutive years at WrestleMania. I mean, it was, this was a, an Undertaker who was older, yet incredibly motivated, for whatever reason, to take a next step in his in-ring career and really on a regular basis, try to deliver uh, classic matches. I mean, the way that he wrestled before this match, I felt like this was if 2004 and 2005 were the undertaker trying to figure out how to be the dead man after having been the American badass, this was the match in which he put the two of those elements together where he was the dead man in terms of his, uh, in terms of that's the character he was portraying, but he was the American badass in the sense that he was going to be more cognizant of, of selling more and doing more in that regard. And then adding the spin on it, which is he got into the best shape of his life ahead of this match and, and would really then get even even in, 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 in even better shape thereafter. It was, it's kind of a wild thing to see someone in his early 40s just decide, you know what, I think what I'm going to try to do is is be the best wrestler in the world and and to go toe to toe with the guy who I think a lot of people would have said at that point held that title. Um, so t- uh, there are so many dynamics of this match that I love, but that was one of the things that that always stood out to me in the in the last several years when I was right. I, mean, I wrote about this match. This match got its own profile in my my latest book, The Greatest Matches and Rivalries of the WrestleMania Era. It's you know it's ranked um, you know reasonably high. Um, in terms of uh, an all-time list of, of great matches in WWE. And I talked about this match and, and within this context as part of the Undertaker chapter, which you know I have Undertaker ranked really high uh, amongst the all-time greats. I, I think he's a top 10 all-time guy in, in WWE and in the WrestleMania era. And this is uh, a part of his legacy that, for me at least, got me fully on board with 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 him as a wrestler, which I truly I don't think I'd really been that way about him prior to. What's well, I mean, there's a lot to unpack with what you just said. Um, the the first thing that I would say is that it kind of harks into the point you made as well about the point I made in the, my book about um, being the best WrestleMania match to have never happened at WrestleMania. In that you can see the particularly the DNA of the Shawn Michaels WrestleMania matches, I think, written all over this. There was something that, to me, about it that spiritually so powerfully evoked those Shawn Michaels matches. And what's interesting about that is the point you were making earlier as well about Kurt Angle, if he'd have stuck around, you know, putting together a library of work that may have been untouchable. I've always felt a similar thing. I've always felt if he'd have stuck around, you know, the conversation about the greatest of all time wouldn't really be about Shawn Michaels. It would more be about Kurt Angle. Uh, we're getting into alternative histories there, but it's interesting to me that as a result, you can sort of see him 
doing the kind of stuff with The Undertaker that you would then see really just a year later, The Undertaker doing at the back end, of course, in the final two of the Royal Rumble the following year with Sean that in turn would then sort of gradually lead into those WrestleMania matches. And it's also very interesting the point you made about, uh, you know, him, him sort of finally figuring out how to marry up a freer ring style with the dead man character because um, I banged on about this relentlessly in columns and on podcasts about the the humanizing process of his character that really begins all the way back in 1994 and really sort of very slowly takes its time and you see him getting sort of looser and looser freer and freer of that kind of zombified act that he was doing in his in his first few years in the company obviously becomes totally human the character at one stage when he's the american badass and then it's interesting that you frame 2004 and 5 as kind of almost like his teething of this this new version of the dead man and it seems like he finally hits that perfect balance here so in some ways it feels a little bit like this has been almost 12 years coming this kind of match and it it's it's always very dangerous when you look back on things and start saying well maybe that was inevitable because you can very easily sort of start to misinterpret things but it does feel like this is an endpoint for a very long process of evolution for his character um and as a performer and one of the things that i love again so much about this match is that there's a lot of character to it it may seem what i've written in my notes is on the surface it may seem almost a little colorless to some people because it is so sort of straightforward it is so sort of just about the wrestling you know competitive wrestling which incidentally is one of the reasons why i love it so much um but there's there's a lot of character in there because you have it's it's all rooted in that line in that marvelous pre pre match hype video that they put together where Kurt Angle says when that bell rings I don't have a soul either, uh, which is I think is a phenomenal. Whoever wrote that line deserves a raise, uh, or deserved a raise I suppose. Uh, probably Kurt Angle. Probably Kurt Angle, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it, that's reflected completely in the match. It's precisely because of that notion. He's a wrestling machine. He doesn't have a soul. You know, he's not he's not intimidated by. Uh, the Undertaker, you you end up in this this really kind of con- weird contradictory space where uh, the the it, particularly if you take a sort of a, an interpretive liberty with it, um, the very fact they don't play into kind of the the supernatural elements all that much, the very fact that it's such a straight laced and grounded kind of match, seems to reinforce the characters uh, that they both inhabit at the time. So uh, weirdly, it's kind of completely out of character in some respects because it sort of has a disregard for it but that means it's also totally in character and and it sort of really reaches a peak right towards the end of the match where you get the straps down and the sit-up basically at the same time which is very evocative of the kip-up sit-up spot that they do in the at the end of the rumble in 07 with sean but um it was it was interesting to me to think that it's, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, I guess what I'm skirting around saying is that it is a, an absolutely key example of achieving more by doing less. And that feels like a very, very important lesson, particularly for contemporary wrestling right now. Indeed. Indeed. I think that there are very few wrestlers today that would even try to have a match like this. And one that I guess we'll talk about next week, I think, was certainly one of them. Um and and so you know I don't know I mean I think uh, you look back at 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 Angle and Taker and there's this there's this dynamic 
that I think is worth mentioning about the way Kurt Angle felt about Undertaker. Mm. Like, uh, and I feel like a fully fleshed out program between these two guys could have tapped a little further into it because that's the downside to this whole process that led to this match happening when it did was that they it, they rushed it. I mean, this this was originally, if you believe rumor to be true, this was the plan for WrestleMania 22. It was going to be Angle and Taker, and it was going to be Orton against Batista. And then, you know, for whatever reason, they just they just decided that they couldn't shift the belt to Angle and keep the and and keep the the championship dynamic and still have the Undertaker involved in it, even though they would do that. Uh, the following year, which is a point I would like to come back to because I think it's part of the legacy of the match. But the the match itself, I mean, Angle always talked about how much respect he had for The Undertaker. And this was in a lot of interviews that you could readily find in a lot of the home video productions and even some of the things that were said, uh, I think, on television throughout that era where, where The Undertaker um, was just in Kurt Angle's mind the best. You know, he, he felt like the, that there was no one better when you asked his opinion on, on who's the greatest ever. And given that, on, you know, Kurt Angle was in an interesting position to comment on it because he wasn't a wrestling fan before he became a wrestler. It was just he turned it on in uh, in the late 90s when everyone else was. and was like, wow, this is this is fun. And then, of course, his background, they wanted to bring him in. But Undertaker was the guy who he latched on to when people would ask him, who do you think is the best? And he would say the Undertaker, and I was always taken aback by that in circa like 2003, when he would say, when I would read that in an interview, where Kurt Angle says that Undertaker is the best. <laughs> Why? You know that that just that didn't compute with me at the time. So I felt like this was a very highly motivated Kurt Angle to go out and have this match with Undertaker because I don't know, maybe he felt like his internal clock was already ticking on his career at least with the WWE pace that they wanted him to keep. And he felt like he needed to go out and, and, re, and remind everybody that he could do this uh, and do this with Undertaker. And then, of course, the fact that this was originally supposed to be a WrestleMania match, you take that out. I mean, it, you literally could see this match, couldn't you, just happening six weeks later well, in Chicago. Well, I was, yeah, I was just toying with the idea. I remember uh, reading stories about, um, you know, Undertaker and Batista being being annoyed in 2007 when they found out they were going on halfway through, and you know the the let's see them follow that line, uh, and and you do wonder, you know, if if they knew that this was going to be a WrestleMania match, and then it turned out that it wasn't, whether they were motivated to go out there and say, look, we should be doing this at WrestleMania. I don't know, because the the other thing with these two as well is you you would get the impression just from their ethos as as performers that they would want to go out and have this match almost regardless of what night it was on. But there certainly does seem to be, I think oozing from every pore of this thing. And to be fair, I would extend this as well to everybody involved. I would extend it to the commentary team as well, who I thought, you know, I mean, what a refreshing commentary track it was to listen to compared to some of the bill they come out with today. Uh, Very focused and on point. Um, It felt like everybody was deeply enthusiastic uh, about telling this story and about having watching this match and 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 staging this match in in the way that they do, it's taken very seriously, not to the point of being totally without wit or humor, but it, it but it it's it's 
it takes itself seriously. It takes professional wrestling seriously, and it and it seems to want to. Well, we've already said it a number of times, haven't we? It's so old school. The the pacing is very measured. It feels very uh, confident uh, in the way that it's paced. They know they're going to be able to hold the crowd's attention. One thing that I'm never really that fond of seeing in matches, and it's one reason why I've soured so much on the. Uh, Shawn Michaels, Kurt Angle, WrestleMania match uh, in recent years. I, I've never been a massive fan of the whole kind of stylistic irony trick where one guy is known as a technical wrestler, but his opponent out-wrestles him. I think that it's it's a bit of a silly idea. So they kind of flirt around that, but they, they, they end up in this situation where Angle's sort of throwing the fists and Undertaker's doing the wrestling. They do it so imperceptibly uh, that you just that you just go with it, you know. You, you're not conscious of the fact that they're doing it until a good ten or fifteen minutes into the match, and it feels completely natural because of the way that they that they've structured things. It's all so fluid, and it's all for the most part, at least. I mean, there are there is a, a table spot in the middle that that feels a little bit co-opted, but generally speaking, it, there doesn't feel or watch to be a great deal of cooperation between the performers. It doesn't look choreographed for the most part. Agreed, agreed. I think that dynamic you meant you mentioned regarding the, um, you know, the more subtle version of the ironic, uh, you know, sort of twist and rolls is accomplished more so like in the Shawn Michaels match you mentioned it's it's so in your face it's mm-hmm. basically the first seven minutes of the match are that whereas in the Undertaker Shawn or the Undertaker and Kurt Angle match it's it's a little bit more of a back and forth so they the, the way it's handled is a little bit more low-key so um but the, you know they use that and they, they get into and it becomes the theme of the match to me is just the expert use of of counter wrestling. I mean, these guys have got each other extraordinarily well scouted, which borrowing from what you mentioned earlier about how you were so appreciative of this, just being about competitive wrestling and not being about some wider, grander sort of epic story. This, I love that about this match because you've got, you know, you, you know that undertaker very clearly by the midpoint of the match knows what Kurt Angle's biggest weapons are and has scouted some of his best performances to know how to figure it out, even though he's seven feet tall and 300 pounds. And Kurt Angle, obviously, his counters to Undertaker stuff is is just, you know, I mean, it's, I think that's always been the most compelling version of an Undertaker match. That's one of the reasons why I love the match that he did with, the, with Edge in the WrestleMania main event two years later, was that it was just counter after counter after counter, because you get into the mode of, and this is where I think rewatchability comes into a play into play with a match like this and like the match with Edge at WrestleMania 24 is that, you know, when you have counter wrestling like that, it's it's a different kind of aesthetic than you have when you have something like Sean and Taker at WrestleMania 25, which is more epic in the moment, but maybe suffers in rewatchability because of uh, the way that the big moves are presented. It's more. He hits this, then you hit that, then you hit this. And there's a real beauty, I think. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful things that happens on the 20 by 20 foot canvas, in my opinion, is when you get counter wrestling to the degree that Angle and Undertaker are able to execute it, then it's just uh, it's a thing of beauty and something to, that to me doesn't get old. It, it is the equivalent on the wrestling canvas of 
Heath Ledger's Joker and the various scenes that he has in The Dark Knight where he completely steals the movie. And in this particular match, I mean, this is part of the reason why I think a lot of people felt like this was the match of the year in 2006. Why, if it had taken place at WrestleMania 22 with this audio soundtrack of a more engaged crowd, uh, with the epicness of WrestleMania, with that same underlying motivation that you spoke of with Batista and Taker, already added in when you're taking now into account uh, two greats of all time like Angle and Taker, the same kind of motivation that borrowed uh, from the HBK Taker playbook a couple of years later when they're like, we're going on fifth. Huh. You know, just uh, you'd combine all of those elements. It's just uh, it, not only is it awesome, not only is it something that could have main evented WrestleMania, not only is it something that would be remembered forever and in a totally different way had it mm-hmm. taken place at WrestleMania, but it is a beautiful match to rewatch. And to me, that has become one of the ultimate indicators of longevity and, and one of the ultimate indicators of greatness as wrestling has evolved over the years is this match. I can pull it up tonight and I just rewatched it three nights ago. I could pull it up tonight and I wouldn't be bored by it. But if I put together something that's more contemporary and try to do the same, I think I would struggle to connect with it on that level because the way that this is wrestled is just so much more engaging to me. It's uh, it's uh, interesting that you mentioned sort of a movie comparison there. It's the kind of match that um, it's like collector's edition wrestling. You know, if they if they released wrestling matches um, in isolation on disc, you could easily it's matches like this one that are worthy of you know a, a, a collector's edition release of you know with with special features and and all the bump that goes with it because it's it's. I mean, you use the word beautiful. I think that's the word that deserves to be used, quite honestly. You've mentioned a couple of times um, uh, notions of, of legacy, and we seem to be to be leaning into that now. So I was wondering if you'd want to expand on your thoughts. You mentioned particularly earlier that you wanted to return to points you were making uh, in lieu of the Batista match the following year. Um, what? How would you frame the legacy of this thing, especially because it is a match that, doesn't really get celebrated. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of fans who would say it's a great match if you asked them, but it's not like it often gets uh, a, a championed or singled out by the company particularly. Probably because a it was it was not just not at WrestleMania, it was at the pre-WrestleMania pay-per-view, which no one ever really talks about. Uh, and B probably because Kurt Angle was absent from the company within a few months after this and and for a long time as well. So um, in lieu of those and and what the Undertaker would also go on to do at WrestleMania and throughout the rest of his career, what do you see the legacy of of this match as being? I think in part it's the unofficial start to the streak within the streak. I think it, you know, all those match of the year candidates that The Undertaker had from 2007 to 2013, this one doesn't get talked about as much because it took place at No Way Out. But, I mean, unquestionably, I mean, it was it was it was a match of the year um, in 2006. And it really started that streak for The Undertaker. I think in that sense. Uh, it, 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 its legacy is, is sort of the forgotten WrestleMania classic, even though it didn't take place there. It was supposed to, and if it had, then I was there in Chicago. This was the first WrestleMania that I ever went to. Um, I, I can guarantee you. I mean, I, I think that it, it's to me, it's its legacy is it's it's the greatest match ever that no one ever talks about. It it's, might be a fair way to put it. 
which is so weird because if it had taken place six weeks later, no one would ever stop talking about it. Um, and that's that's I guess that's part of the legacy of WrestleMania. I think it speaks to the point I wanted to make about Batista is I, I personally I, I I think um you weren't watching back then in oh six, correct? Correct. So this was a time where like I remember on my on my drive home from Chicago to St. Louis that that night, I, as soon as WrestleMania ended, I, I left and drove and got home at like 530 in the morning uh, and bombed my physiology exam <laughs> because of it. Uh, but <laughs> the uh, sacrifices you make, Doc. In, indeed, indeed. But uh, I remember on the way home, I just to keep myself awake, I was like, well, what could they do next year? Like, what's a huge match that they could do? Uh, to set the stage for for WrestleMania 23, and knowing it was going to be at Ford Field, it's like you got to pack that house. So, uh, and actually, Batista versus Undertaker was one of the first things that I came up with. Uh, so, I, I thought about this before we went on the air today, just thinking about um, that. The, obviously, they didn't want Taker in a championship match at WrestleMania 22. I that to me sort of comes across as obvious for whatever reason they didn't think Orton versus Rey Mysterio could be for the world title without one of their more established legendary figures in that spot. But for whatever reason, they didn't want Undertaker in that spot. And it made me wonder if they wanted to save that for the following year, which I thought spoke very well to the position that Batista had roads to in that era. Batista is almost a forgotten guy in, in that, in that time period, I think sometimes, but you know, they thought highly enough of him that they waited to bring Undertaker into a championship match at WrestleMania so that it could be against Batista and not against Kurt Angle. Um, but in terms of the legacy for Undertaker, I think it started uh, a run that was really amazing. I mean, really, the, the, the era of Undertaker that defines my appreciation for him most was started by that match. For Kurt Angle, I think you hear him talk about it. Um, when he came back to WWE a couple of years ago and he was on sports center and on ESPN here in the States, uh, Jonathan coachman asked him about, you know, what's some of your favorite matches that you've had. And, and that was the second one that he mentioned. So uh, I think to Kurt, in Kurt Angle's mind, it's the, it's one of the top three matches he ever had. And I think in a lot of people's mind, the fact that that I don't know that 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 many would say the same. I think you would say the same. I think I certainly would would put it in the top five. But because of that weird decision not to just go forward with the plan at WrestleMania and put the championship on on it um, on the line in Chicago, it, it it changed the way that it's remembered. And but that's why we have podcasts like this is to make <laughs> sure that it gets properly remembered. <laughs> um. These these thirty minutes fly by. We're almost out of time already. Would you believe? Um, I think that's almost the perfect note to end on in a lot of ways. I certainly would encourage people to go and check uh, this match out for all of the reasons uh, that we've discussed. And I'd be very interested to see the more. Just as a sort of a final br- brief final point here, the more that that wrestling's ring fashion today continues to change. And, and seems to move closer towards more is more almost universally. 
Um, and whether my view on that has been been skewed from recent cynicism or not, I don't know. But that's that's how it's felt. I'd be very interested to see how fans, especially who've come to wrestling after 2006, and by that I don't mean like the next year, I mean sort of within the last five years or so, how they would view a match like this. Because we've mentioned that it's, in a lot of ways, it's a demanding match to watch in the sense that it demands you pay attention. And that's the kind of wrestling that I would categorize the uh, WrestleMania 12 Ironman match as, for example, that a lot of people criticize, I think, rather foolishly is boring. Um, and it's also, I would dare say, um, the kind of uh, the kind of category that you could define our, uh, talk, our match that we're going to talk about next week as, as well. Wrestling that demands you pay attention, that isn't going to take shortcuts to building trauma, that takes its time, that is patient, that's smart for the most part at least. Um, and don't you just think that the drama is all the more exciting at the back ends of these matches because of that? I do. I do. This has got, you know, by the time you get to the end of this, you've really had a great payoff for the time spent watching by the time they go into what is a brilliant finishing sequence. Quite, absolutely. Um, Though, of course, had it happened at WrestleMania, a finishing sequence that would undoubtedly have been very different, um, which is an interesting uh, idea to to consider. Um, Unfortunately, we are already out of time. Doc, thank you for for joining me again this week. Is there anything that you want to um, plug before we head out? Bearing in mind, this podcast probably isn't going to air until around February time, I would think. You are welcome to check out my books. They're available on Amazon, The Greatest Matches and Rivalries of the WrestleMania era, as well as the WrestleMania era, the book of sports entertainment. So thank you, Plan, for having me. It's been a blast. My pleasure. My thanks, of course, to Doc for once again gracing us with his very, very busy presence. It's always appreciated. This is, as you know, guys, if you've been listening over the last uh, couple of weeks, the penultimate ever episode of Sports Entertainment is dead. Next week is my final ever episode, so there's nothing to plug on my side here other than to say to be sure to check out the last ever episode of this podcast next week where we will be talking quite appropriately I feel about Roman Reigns versus Seth Rollins appropriately because of course I am a Seth Rollins guy and Roman Reigns is perhaps his most uh, shall we say iconic rival you could make a strong argument for Dean Ambrose but not to get sidetracked check that out next week guys usual time usual place last ever episode of sports entertainment is dead and until then uh, thanks for listening stay safe and have a good one